Hello and welcome to series two of the Training for Influence podcast. Our aim is to help you deliver the best training possible. We'll be exploring how to make the most of every single second in a training session and how to deliver training so that it has added influence. You'll be hearing from me, Tammy Banks, and I'll be chatting with Training for Influence graduates, facilitators and experts who can speak to each of the steps. Expert, tailored, engaging and values-led. We hope you find these podcasts really beneficial. In this episode, I have the great pleasure of talking to Angie Norden about the importance of developing engaging training. Angie is a recent graduate of the Training for Influence programme and she's been delivering training herself for over 20 years. We discuss our frustrations with bad training, her favourite learning theories, and ultimately how developing engaging training can change your delegate's experience. It ensures they understand and retain the information. And if you have booked or deliver training, this should be a minimum expectation. Welcome, Angie. It's great to have you here. Can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So I've been working in learning development for about 25 years. I'm also a coach and a counsellor. So um, lots of experience in the sort of people field. I've worked in corporate life most of my time, but in 2003, I uh, started to work for myself purely because I had a lot of training courses that I was buying in and they were sometimes not quite hitting the mark. So I was inspired to start my own business, learning development business, and use the training for influence methodology and um, types of learning styles, etc., to design and deliver training. I've facilitated thousands of courses, but I've got a real passion for the Training for Influence methodology. Thanks, Angie. It's really clear that you're an extremely experienced trainer, and I really appreciate you coming on this podcast today. So a few weeks back now, when you're on the Training for Influence programme, when we got to the engaging section, you told us all a little bit about some experiences you've had of learning from some of the top psychologists with regards to developing the theories around learning styles. And I sent you the draft chapter from the Training for Influence book about engaging. I'd love it if you could tell the listeners a little bit about what you thought of that chapter. Yeah. When I was reading the chapter, it was really helping me to think about some of the things that you were saying around learning styles, engaging, attention spans, retention of learning. I can't believe that organisations still pay money for training. That doesn't give people the opportunity to find relevance or find purpose or find meaning in what they're doing. But actually, that's got to be created. It doesn't just happen. And I think there's a lot of trainers, designers out there that just kind of hope for the best and think that that's all going to happen. But actually, it takes effort and energy. And it's about enabling people to have the how. How can I create that? What do I need to do as the trainer or the designer of the training? What do I need to do to enable people and to empower people to enable them to learn? So it was really, um, I really enjoyed reading it. Really enjoyed reading it. I have to say that. You're on my podcast. (laughs) But it was really nice because you sent back, so when we were going through the Training for Influence programme and we got to this step of it and we covered engaging, obviously different people take different things from the programme and the engaging chapter I sent out because obviously the book isn't published as of yet. So I sent out the engaging chapter and everybody came back with feedback and it was really amazing out of all of the people on the course, everybody was at different levels. So there was a couple of people that said, 
I've never heard of learning styles, never heard of it. And for me, I'm a little bit like, really? Really? How's that even possible now? But actually, if you're a subject matter expert and you've been working in that role and you're new into training, then actually you really might not have heard of learning styles. And then there were other people that had said, oh, this is something that I really want to get my head around. I really want to know. I really want to learn learn about. And in the book in particular, in the chapter I sent out, we try and pitch it at a level where actually we're introducing people to learning styles in enough detail that they can adapt their sessions. And it's not overwhelming from that perspective. They've got enough information to be able to do that, but not so much that actually they become really overwhelmed by it. And so there were some people that came back after reading that and said, now I can think of three or four things that I can change immediately to ensure that they're more engaging and interactive and things. And then you came back and your reply was fantastic because you'd said, Tammy, I think you've pitched this chapter perfectly at the right level for the people reading it. You know, there's enough there to really get your teeth into it and understand it. But then it goes into top tips of how you can actually do this practically. And then I remember you then gave me example of learning about all of the theories previously. And actually, sometimes the theories and the practical can seem worlds apart, can't they? I think you're right. I think people don't necessarily want blinding by all of the science and the background. They want to know enough to enable them to adapt and think about what they're doing and consider what they're doing and maybe incorporate some new practical tips and ideas. And I think that's, that's what the chapter and the Training for Influence methodology gives people. It gives them enough to enable them to do that and to change and to think and to provoke some difference, but doesn't blind them with all of the science and the history and the facts and figures. If they want that, they can go and read it for themselves. Well, interestingly, in the Training for Influence Train the Trainer programme, the engaging element goes into more detail. And so they can explore the different learning styles in more detail particularly the theories behind them and those activities and elements that go along that and guest experts and things connecting it all together. So it brings it alive, but brings it alive in a way that is still practical and achievable, really, because I think that that's what's sometimes missing is those actually now I know about the fact that there's, I don't know, kinesthetic learning or audio or or whatever the different kind of types are when you're looking at them from those perspectives. You can label them, but if you don't then know how to practically apply them, it just is more information, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And I, I have, you know, from the chapter that I say in there that actually I pick from a variety of different theories. And actually, that's what we recommend within Training for Influence is that actually you look across the board and we've picked out our favorite ones. And they're the ones that we focus on because actually they complement each other really well. And you've done some studying on the theories previously. And actually, I think you were telling me last time we spoke about actually doing some work with some amazing mentors that have really been instrumental in developing different learning styles and the understanding behind them. Tell us a little bit about what are your favourite theories out there and which ones do you work with So I've got a couple of favourites. The first one is the commonly known as the VAK, which stands for whether we are a visual learner, an auditory learner or a kinesthetic learner. Yay, and that's, that's one of the ones in the book. That's one of the ones that we've picked that absolutely is one of our favourites too. Fantastic, yeah. It really is easy to understand, but I think really applicable. So it, it really looks at whether 
how you like to take in information and how you like to learn and how you like to give information out. So what are your preferences? For example, a visual learner might like lots of things represented in a visual way. So if you were giving them some data, they might like it represented in a graph, for example, or something with colour. Or... So it's about looking at people's senses and trying to establish how their preference and what their preferences are for learning. And then one of my other favourites is some work that was done by a guy called Howard Gardner. Which uh, was... yeah, another one, another one that's yeah. in there. We picked four that work together really well, and this is two of them. Yeah. So Howard Gardner really looked at what's called multiple intelligences. So this was some quite interesting work and kind of really fascinated me. This, it's not about, I think we're all traditionally told that we're smart at things or we're good at things and not good at other things. And Gardner's Intelligences really tries to identify kind of what we're smart at. So um, there's seven or eight different intelligences, depending on which theory you read. <laughs> For example, I know that some of my intelligences are around one that's called interpersonal which means that I'm quite good at building relationships and building things around people. But some other people might be physical, where they need lots of movement and activity. Some other people might be more logical and like data and facts and figures. And some other people might be quite linguistic, what we call verbal linguistic, where they need lots of words and discussions and so forth are really important to them. So they're really about identifying what your preferences are, but then being able to try and engage with learners, thinking about what their preferences are. Or really as a trainer, trainer and a, a learning designer, it's about trying to tap into those learning styles for our learners. It might be about designing an activity that spans more than one of those intelligences. Absolutely. So trying to engage with everybody. One of the things also that we, we tend to do once we know what ours are, we tend to feel comfortable with our preferences and our learning styles, but we tend to gravitate towards just those, and that might stop us from engaging with all of our learners. So it's about knowing what my preferences are, but then also knowing what my least preferences are, and then being able to design and deliver learning that meets everybody's preference and everybody's needs. Yeah, absolutely. I think as facilitators, certainly, and I know that I do, I naturally gravitate towards my own learning styles because that, that's where I'm comfortable. And actually, I it's learning about them and recognising different people's learning styles that has really broadened my scope of the way that I deliver learning and how engaging and interactive I am. Because actually, there's some things... For instance, with lots of the courses that Tay delivers, and obviously using the training for influence methodology, there's also optional handouts and optional workbooks for people because some people really like making reams of notes as they go along, and that really plays to their strengths and their learning styles. But actually, that doesn't to me at all. If anything, if I'm writing things down, as I'm writing it down, I've disconnected from what's being said next. Mm -hmm. um, I'm very much an activist, and so I, I want to be up and I want to be doing things and I want to be moving about and engaged in the learning from that perspective. So I think it is sometimes as facilitators, we will naturally gravitate towards our learning styles. And it's being aware of the theories and I guess the diverse range of delegates that we might be delivering to that actually then brings up the ability to actually adapt and change the way that we're delivering things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I know in the Honey and Mumford learning styles or learning theory that I'm very low at being a kind of a theorist. That's one of the, the types. And I used to get lots and lots of feedback of 
not really giving lots of facts or figures or data or the theories behind things, but that was because that wasn't really important to me. I didn't need that. But actually, I started to recognise that there were lots of my learners and lots of my delegates that did need those facts and figures and the theory and the concepts and, so, and the rationales behind it. So I have to now make sure and be really mindful that I have to incorporate more of the theorists and the rationales behind things because I, otherwise I'm not going to necessarily engage with the theorists in the room. Yeah, that's a really good example, actually, and one that I think is really important to just reflect on for a moment, because sometimes you can miss whole chunks of meeting somebody's needs and their learning styles because you've not recognised actually their needs are different to yours as well. And the theories example is a perfect one, because within the um, programme, as you'll know, we go through the different theories and have a look at them. But actually what we've developed now and we've put a resource on the website, so it's a free resource. So if anybody's listening or want to download it, they can. But actually it includes a checklist. Have you done this within your sessions? And part of that checklist is to get you to consciously think about are you meeting different learning styles throughout the session and making you actually think about ones that you wouldn't necessarily naturally consider because they don't sit as comfortably with you. And within that downloadable resource, there's also some PowerPoint slides and activities that people can look at to go, oh, right, okay, so now I recognise that this meets this, which will then achieve this, if that makes sense. Because sometimes, sometimes we do need, and you're a very naturally reflective person and you've been delivering training for years and years and years. And the fact that you consciously have to say to yourself, I just need to make sure that I've included this. The fact that you're doing that already shows the level of skill that you have within facilitating training as it is. The checklists are really helpful, I find, you know, to just go, oh, yeah, actually, I have done a video. I've got some movement. Yeah, there's some theories in there. Yeah, every 20 minutes I'm doing, you know, and to work through in that way and have some of that background to it as well. Yeah. And being proactive with thinking about that prior and being aware. Yeah, I think it's constantly checking in with yourself, constantly checking in with the material that you've designed and saying, you know, is it spanning the whole uh, learning styles, preferences? Is it going to engage with every single person? Yeah. It goes back to what we said earlier, actually, doesn't it, about really valuing the time of the delegates in the room. They're there, they're giving us their time, they're not out doing their job at that point, they've given up that time to spend it within that training session. If we really value them, value that time and that learning opportunity, we want to meet their needs. So it's about recognising that all the way through what we're doing. It is important as well that as facilitators, we don't get overwhelmed by this because I know that when we did on the program, when we did the engaging element, there were a couple of people that said to me, you know, I've never heard of these theories. I'm not a theorist. I'm not an academic. I've never heard of them. And actually, if I now need to go away and you've either coincidentally or because you've read the chapter and prepared for the podcast, either or. You talked to the three of the four theories that we chose as our favourites that connect together, that we pick things from within the methodology. But for some people, even that is quite overwhelming. And I guess one of the things that I want to make really clear within this podcast, and I guess within the programme as well, is that it doesn't have to be overwhelming. Actually, once you understand learning styles and how important they are and how they connect together, it's really easy to adapt your sessions and recognise how you're meeting different delegates' needs. It just, on the face of it, when you're talking about theories and things, it can seem mm. quite a mountain to climb, but actually I would argue that it really isn't once you have that understanding. I, know, I, I would suggest to people that maybe have not come across learning styles before is 
first and foremost, find out what yours are, because then you'll really resonate with it and you'll think, oh gosh, yes, that is me. Yes, I do do that and I do have that preference. And yeah, I do like to learn like that. And so that then gives you a real good road in. If you can recognize and build that self-awareness, it gives you a really great road in then to how you can engage with others. And as I say, you also may be being aware of the ones that are your lowest ones or the ones that are not your preferences because you go, oh, that's maybe why I really don't need the facts. That's why I don't really enjoy it when you make me move around the room or that's why I'm not really, I don't really engage with that. So yeah, I would suggest that people learn about themselves first and then that will definitely give you an insight. Uh, Do you know what, Angie, I completely agree because I think it's revelationary when you find out your learning style. So actually when we get on to the engaging module of the program, the first thing people do is complete the questionnaire that explores all the different learning styles. Actually, I think it's one that you sent over a link to, which has been included in the program. And it is about actually going through and having a look at and recognising your learning styles, letting that settle a little bit with you. Because for me, it was absolutely revelationary. And I talk, when I talk on courses and I'm talking about learning styles, I will say really seriously, if I'm not chewing something or talking, so I have to be doing, this is not going to be any surprise to anybody listening though, is it? Do you know, I have to be doing something with my mouth. So if I'm chewing, sucking a sweet, or if I'm talking, absolutely perfect. You've got my full attention. If I'm not doing that, then I find myself becoming distracted. And for me, I guess the time that's most dangerous is if I'm driving a car. So if I'm driving, I need to be either singing along to the radio, talking on hands-free, not something, it can't be something concentrated, if that makes sense, or I need to have a sweet in my mouth or some chewing gum or something like that. And that keeps me really, really alert. And if I'm in a meeting, I will be sitting fiddling with something constantly. If it's a meeting where I'm having to concentrate, I'll be sitting fiddling with something or I'll be doodling or something like that. And both of those were recognising that and recognising the importance to me and the difference it makes actually for how much information I take away from that meeting, from that session or how alert I am when I'm driving the car in that situation. It really was really revelationary. Well, it can definitely help you to keep your attention and you I think it's about tapping into the senses as well, isn't it? The sensory learning. So I'm, uh, I'm guessing from what you're saying and what, maybe what I've noticed that you're a very kinesthetic learner. You know, smell and taste also come into the, the kinesthetic preference. You need to touch things or you need to be doing things or you need to be tasting things in order to try and keep your attention and your attention span. And of course, our attention spans are usually pretty low, 15, 20 minutes, something like that, people's attention spans. That's one of the reasons I think why in the training for influence model as well, you also have things like engaging environments or things like the the fiddle toys and the scented pens and those sorts of things because they're also about engaging with the senses and maybe why you have bright visual colours in the room or on slides and so forth to engage those senses. Again, it's about trying to come from all angles. Yeah, exactly. It's about looking at the opportunities to accelerate learning by using all of those senses and doing all of that. And then the learning environment and also a big reflection is about emotional learning. When we do the engaging element of the methodology, it goes through all of these different aspects. And the emotional part is really key with regards to actually, we recommend that actually right at the beginning of sessions, you try and get some emotional learning in there because it connects people to the subject really strongly. And then they're really invested in it. And when you're invested in a subject, then you're already more sat up, alert and awake and ready to retain that information. So if you can do some emotional learning right at the beginning, 
get people invested in that subject do a bit of storytelling or and call it in diversity example is that they do an activity right at the beginning where they have to make a um, pyramid out of paper cups and they're making the pyramid out of paper cups but they're put into pairs and it's right at the beginning of the quality in diversity so nobody's got a clue why we're asking them to do that but in the pairs one person has to make the pyramid the other person gives the instructions and then there's 30 seconds to do it so it's a competition there's prizes at the end of it and then every group just before they start is given a slip of paper that's got a restriction on it and the restriction might be that the person has to put their hands behind the back or the restriction might be that they have to close their eyes or they're only allowed to use their feet or whatever it is, but they don't know what other people's restrictions are. And then, so they have 30 seconds, it's timed, it's right at the beginning, they've not built any real relationships yet, they're in a bit of an uncomfortable situation and suddenly we're judging them. 30 seconds later, they are really invested in that equality and diversity course because we can reflect back on how did it make you feel to have restrictions that other people didn't have? Yeah. And the fact that there's always a couple of groups that have no restrictions that sit back quite smugly looking at other people, like, ah, we've, we've already done it because they don't realise the others have got restrictions. It sounds like a silly example, but it raises emotions in, in that way, in a very safe way as well. But so that we can then really focus on and go into what people sometimes come along to an equality and diversity course and going, oh, I treat everybody, and they expect it to be a dry subject. And we connect them with it straight away with considering their diversities and then different restrictions and such like that actually then suddenly they're set up and ready to be consciously involved in an equality and diversity course. Yeah. And that's when it's about exactly what you said, swapping and changing things every 15, 20 minutes for people's learning styles and to keep our attention and things. But if you can really grab them right at the beginning, you're already halfway there, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Well, first impressions, and it's really important, isn't it? And I suppose as a, as a trainer, also what you're trying to do is to build that rapport and also remove some of those barriers for learning really, really early on, which is really, really important. And yeah, I think creating an engaging environment and having some positive anticipation is great, isn't it? Because people, um, I mean, I, I think about when I've been on learning events, I think you, you do go with a little bit of trepidation. You do go with a little bit of feeling about what's going to happen to me. Is it a safe environment for me to, to share? Is it a safe environment for me to learn it? And I think, yeah, sort of engaging at an emotional level really, really early on sort of helps to break down some of those barriers and really kind of build that trust and rapport so that people do think, well, actually, yeah, I just set the scene for the day and I can engage with this and actually I can be part of it and nothing horrible is going to happen to me today and yeah. um, it's all going to be okay and I can participate but a lot of that is the trainer isn't it being prepared and being able to welcome people be positive you know demonstrating those positive emotions as well right from the start so that you are scene setting and helping people to feel good about the experience that they're going to have and positive about what's going to happen to them Um, I've heard trainers and again this really I find quite frustrating but I've had trainers who actually have stood up at the start of a session and said to the learners, oh, this is going to be a really dull day, or this is going to be a really dry subject. It's not creating positive emotion, positive anticipation. Yeah. So self-fulfilling is that it probably is going to be a dry, boring session then, because actually that's what you told me it's going to be. It's not engaging on a positive emotional level at all. I've been on sessions, similar sessions, where people have said that right at the beginning. 
And I have to say that I've literally switched off and taken my mind elsewhere for the rest of the day or the rest of the session because that's exactly what it does for me. I need as much investment from the person delivering the training as they expect back from me. That's the type of learner I am. I, I will see if somebody's standing up there and they're engaging and they're passionate and they care about what they're delivering and they have the experience and, you know, they've put the effort into ensuring that like from training for influence, it, it meets those standards. They've then got me. I'm there primed, ready to learn. And I will, I will literally suck everything out of that session that I can possibly get. And then I will walk out going, yeah, and this is what I'm going to do differently. The flip side of that is that I'm a bit of an all or nothing girl. So actually the flip side of that is if they present and say, I've been told to come and deliver this training, it's a bit dry and da, 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 da. Well, actually I've already opted out in my own mind. And I know that that's not necessarily a positive attribute. And I do obviously try and take the bits that I need, but it is an uphill struggle once training sessions been started in that way, certainly. Yeah. If you feel bad about the environment and the learning environment, that just straight away puts up a barrier and it's just going to prevent you from learning. You're not going to take anything in. You're not going to retain anything. You're not going to care, really, because, like you say, the trainer has not really invested anything. And, um, yeah, it's really, really important. It's one of the key things that I would say to trainers, you know, create the right environment right from the very off. Even things like if you're in a classroom, be prepared, be set up, have the room layout, make sure you've got everything ready, you know, visuals on the walls, that you're in the right space and that because first impressions are, are massive, I think it's a real shame when learners come in and the trainer's still faffing around trying to get the PowerPoint working or still setting the room up. It's just a real shame and I think it's really pivotal. It doesn't set the right scene for the day. So those first impressions are really, 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 really important yeah. to create those positive emotions. People, I think if they feel good about the experience that they're going to have, they're going to feel more supportive. It builds confidence in them to learn. They're going to be happier. I would argue that it's exactly the same for online training as well. Do you know, you want people when they arrive to the online room, so to speak, do you know, you want them to be able to be welcomed, there to already be a slide up saying what's happening for the day, there to be some music in the background, you know them to be able to go into breakout rooms and network with their colleagues you know all of that prep stuff yeah exactly the same because it is about actually setting the scene for the day and having those high expectations this is a day where actually there's the opportunity for you to learn masses now it might be learning masses from the information that i'm sharing as the facilitator but equally it might be learning from each other and it might be about you sharing your experiences and it might be just about having the protected time six or seven hours out of your working life to think about and reflect on your practices within this subject so a variety of different opportunities there but you need to help prime the delegates for those opportunities and then give them the opportunities as you go through the day to engage and learn in a way that meets their needs and their learning styles because we want people to get as much as possible from that session and going back to what you said earlier about organisations are booking freelance trainers through other organisations that are sometimes just asked to go along and deliver a session. Well, actually, it's not good enough because it's, it's time, it's money, it's people off of the front line. Those expectations, they should be higher. I would want an organisation, if they're booking somebody that's training for influence accredited, I want them to go we know what we're getting we know the standard we're getting we know exactly how this session is going to be delivered what the standards are and the steps that somebody's gone through to ensure that this session is exactly what it needs to be for us 
or for the people in the room at that point. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, it's so important. Do you know, the engaging step of the method, I don't think any of them can exist without the others because I think we talk about it from a layered perspective. So we talk about the first part is that you have expertise in the area that you deliver in, but also you have expert facilitation skills, which I think is really core. They're fundamental before you can do any training. And then you tailor the training and design the training around the subject, the customer, the organization, the team, et cetera. And then the third layer is that engaging, because once you've got the expert and you've got the session designed, you then need to make it engaging in this way so that it meets. There's no good having a brilliant tailored session that you then just stand up and present or is interactive all the way through and completely full of role play and there's no written element because again it's not going to meet people's learning styles so once you've got the expert you've tailored it it's then about that engaging considering those learning styles and applying them and then the values is the element that connects it all together so i don't think engaging is I wouldn't say it's the element of the method that we couldn't do without, because I would say that actually we couldn't do without any elements of the method, but it certainly builds in that way. And if it was missing, actually, we wouldn't have the influence that we're wanting to have, because actually individuals wouldn't be taking away what they need from the session. And I think just how you interlink them, they do absolutely interlink because, you know, you can engage people, but still make sure that it's relevant for their world and it's tailored. So, you know, there's an example of how they would absolutely link in together. No, so it's got to be, if there's an activity or a case study in there, yes, it's got to meet the learning styles, but it's actually also got to be really, really relevant for that person that's learning or that organisational specific. So there's clear links and the values is about caring and being passionate about what it is that we're designing and delivering. Yeah, absolutely. And just role modelling those elements from the emotional resilience perspective or the trauma-informed service delivery perspective and things like that. So it all interconnects with each other. So it is, I guess the programme is four steps. But as you get to the last one, we're actually on the course that you were part of. It was quite amusing because as we got to the last live where we were talking all about the values, but everybody was like, well, it, it feels like we've been talking about this for weeks. And I was like, oh, but we've just got to it. And they're like, yeah, it's connected to everything we've already done, isn't it? And I was like, yeah. Yeah. It's great that people were making that link as well, wasn't it? (laughs) Yeah, Uh, yeah, I might have been a bit disappointed if they were by that point. (laughs) So so I was really pleased. But it connects together in that way. But Angie, I'm, I've really enjoyed talking to you. Thrilled that you've given up your time to help us with this podcast and that you're going to be part of the Training for Influence programme as well and looking at how we're going to deliver the modules within that and support the learners to get what they need, but also to be able to do it in a way that is achievable. Do you know, we want people to come through the programme and at the end be able to use the methodology and for it not really to be hard for them to do that. And that's what I think now I was reading the book actually at the weekend and as I was going through it and the publishers were saying, this is your last time to add anything. This is your last time. And so I was like, oh, oh, right. Okay. Do do I need to add anything? So I read through it all over again. And actually the bit that I added, I added about just short of a page, I think, that just came after the last step of the methodology. So just come after values, but before the chapter about applying it to online delivery, And the bit that I added was reassuring people saying, whoa, actually, I've just read this book again in a full process. And as I've got to the end of it, I've gone, oh, there's a lot in here. 
from the two elements of experts are then looking at all of the different ways of tailoring things. And then now we've just covered very briefly different theories of engaging and all of that is broken down into the programme and in the book. And so I got to the end of it and I went, oh, I think the last bit that I want to put in here is to reassure people that actually this is really achievable. And actually, once you understand it, not only is it achievable, it's easy um, yeah. and simple. And that came across really strongly with the feedback from the last cohort is that although people found different parts a lot more complex than other people did, depending on how long you've been training or how you came about to training or what sectors you've worked in previously and things, everybody had different strengths and weaknesses. But it's a lot of information. It's a lot to take in. And then when you think I've then got to apply this to my training, it can seem a little bit overwhelming. So actually, I added in a few paragraphs that kind of are reassuring that say, I promise you, whether you go through the program or whether you just use the top tips within the book, you can do this and you can do this really relatively easy. And once you see the difference in it, mate, you'll never do it a different way again. So I think that reassurance is just key from that perspective. Well, I'm confident that it will bring the, the methodology to life. And yeah, I'm confident that people will be able to apply it really, like you say, really, really easily and be inspired to maybe try something different or to look at what they've already been doing and maybe to mix it up a little bit or to try some new techniques out. Yeah, absolutely. And see the difference that they make. So thank you so much for giving me your time today, Angie, and sharing with us lots of different examples and tips there. I really, really appreciate it. I know you've been training for, what, 20, 25 years? Sorry if I'm making you sound old. Like that, yeah, you can tell by the wrinkles. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, do you know what? I'm just looking now and thinking that although this is a podcast, it's also going to be available on YouTube. And actually, I, I just feel that I'm compelled to tell viewers that you're based in Spain at the moment because you're making me look very, very milky white. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you've got this gorgeous glow about you. So, um, yeah, so just anybody that's watching this, Angie is based in Spain at the moment. So, um, at the moment, yeah, sort of enjoying yeah. the sunshine while I can get through yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. We'll pop in the show notes where people can find out about you and what you do and things like that. And if people come on the program or if they pop onto the website, then they'll be able to hear more from you as well. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you, Tammy. Thank <laughs> you. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you found this podcast both useful and enjoyable. If you'd like to access any of the free resources mentioned, assess your training against the methodology, or find out more about the Train the Trainer program, please head to our website, trainingforinfluence.co.uk. And to finish, I'd just like to say, I truly believe that facilitating training is both an opportunity and a privilege. So thank you for recognising that effective values-led training can make a real difference to delegates, to organisations and ultimately to people accessing frontline services.